Well, good morning and welcome again to Grace Bible Church. Thank you for joining us here today. Uh, we're going to continue our study this morning in the in the book of James. Uh, as you might can might be able to tell, we're closing in on the end. Uh, we are just a few verses from completing this wonderful study of of the book of James. Uh, I've personally grown. I personally have grown, and and as I've preached this wonderful epistle, I've I've experienced much of what uh, James has talked about, and this week is no no different. I've titled my titled my sermon this morning "Prayers of Faith." Prayers of Faith. James offers his people three occasions for faithful prayer and praise as they endure great hardship. He encourages the church to prayer and praise when, number one, we are suffering. When we're suffering. Number two, when we're smiling. And number three, when we are, point number three, we are sick. Let me pray for us and then we'll, we'll get started. Heavenly Father, we thank you again this morning. I pray that you would honor the preaching of your word. Father, I thank you that we can be here together and that that we can, uh, the, the pinnacle of the worship service is participating in the preaching of the Word. Father, I know that we are small in number, but Lord, we are mighty because we trust you. And only in you can we be that way. Only in you can we conquer. You promise that we are more than conquerors when we follow and, and obey you. We praise you and thank you this morning in Christ's name. Amen. Let me read the passage. James 5, verses 13 through 18. Specifically this morning, we're going to focus on verses 13 through 15, but I'll read for context. Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? Then he is to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another, so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he turns a sinner from the error of his way. He who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. A little extra there. I, I went ahead and read to the end. Well, English Puritan Philip Henry, the father of Matthew Henry, uh, you may have heard of him, the great commentator, had two children who were dangerously sick. After a time of wrestling and prayer for them, he wrote in his diary, he wrote this, If the Lord will be pleased to grant me my request this time concerning my children... I will not say as the beggars at our door used to do. I will never ask of him anything of him again. But on the contrary, he shall hear oftener from me. 
than ever. And I will love God the better and love prayer the better as long as I live. Beloved, this should be and must be our attitude toward prayer. We must make it our habit to continually approach the throne of grace in faith, trusting that God will answer our prayers. We must be persistent in our prayers. Just like the friend who in Luke 11 went to the door and knocked on the door continually asking for bread uh, to feed a friend from out of town. The, it, Jesus said in Luke 11 that it wasn't because he's a friend that he opened the door. It was because of his persistence. His persistence in coming and knocking on the door. And the Lord expects us to show the same type of persistence as we pray to Him, knocking on that door, asking for Him to answer. We must make it our habit to do so. Now I want to take a few minutes to review uh, James chapter 5, 1-12. In James 5, 1, James had, had warned the wicked rich... These people who had been oppressing and persecuting the poor brethren, that their miseries were coming upon them due to their wicked actions. He told them in verse 2, chapter 5, verse 2, that their riches were rotted and their garments had become moth-eaten. Ultimately, he tells them that it is in the last days that they've stored up their treasure. Now, I want to remind you that they were uh, wickedly withholding pay of their laborers some of whom were poor Christians. Uh, They were in dire need of this pay. And James had told them, told the wicked rich, he told them that the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the years of the Lord of hosts, the Lord of angel armies. They had condemned and put to death the righteous and that God would resist them. Beloved, we have studied the great difficulties that these beloved people were going through. They were the first fruits of the church and they were being afflicted for the cause of Christ. James had said, had told them in chapter 1, to consider it all joy, knowing that the trials that they were going through would be used by God to build their faith, to build and increase their endurance, and to sanctify them for greater service. In James 5, 7, James exhorted these poor brethren to be patient. He reminded them that the, Lord, the Lord's coming is imminent and that it could happen at any time. He also reminded them to strengthen their hearts trusting in the Word of God, trusting in God's promises. But he also warned them not to complain against one another. He told them that the judge, the Lord Jesus, is standing right at the door. He exhorted them to suffer well. And in doing so, he pointed to the prophets who suffered as they spoke in the name of the Lord. He also pointed out that they, we count blessed those who endure. Those who go through the suffering, we count them as blessed. And, and he pointed to the endurance of Job as, this, as great endurance that Job uh, went through, or as, as he went through, his endurance was increased, that is. But he even showed a greater example. The example of the, of the outcome of what the Lord did with Job and the outcome of the Lord's dealings. James reminded them that the Lord is uh, he's full of compassion and He's merciful. This, is a, this pulls on a rich heritage of the Lord's mercy that starts in Exodus 34, where the Lord told Moses, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth. 
who keeps loving kindness for thousands and forgives iniquity and transgression and sin. You see, James wanted them to understand. He wanted them to remember the compassion and the mercy of the Lord as they endured this great suffering on his behalf. But but he also wanted them to understand that God would not only show mercy toward them, but he will show wrath toward those who oppress him, or to, to those who oppress them, that is. He will show wrath toward the guilty. In Exodus 34, it says this, Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. So he will show compassion and mercy toward his people, but he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. You see, God's promises then are a source of great hope for God's people, for those who believe in Him, for those who believe Him. It's interesting that in Exodus 34, it's interesting that Moses, upon hearing these words, he reacted in worship. In Exodus 34, 8, it says this, Moses made haste to bow low toward the earth and worship. So, in the midst of of suffering, James wants these these poor brethren to understand that God is there, that God is compassionate and merciful, but also, he's one to be worshipped. I believe this is instructive to James' readers. They may not have understood why they were being persecuted, why God seemed aloof to be aloof as they were suffering, but they knew from the Word of God that God is good. And worthy of our worship. Again, James pointed to the character of God, reminding the his people that God is good. And I believe that's why he said in chapter one, verse seventeen, back in chapter one, he says this: Every good thing given, every every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Beloved, the hard fact of the matter is many times God puts you and me in inexplicable situations. They're they're unexplainable. We know we're there in the mud. And we understand the difficulty that we're facing, but we cannot explain why. We don't know how to get out of the quagmire. We're there, but we don't know how to get out. He puts us in situations where, for which there seems to be no real answer. But He does it for a purpose. He does it so that He could bring us to the end of ourselves. He does it to drive us to our knees before Him. In James 1.18, James had reminded his people that they were the first fruits of the church. It says in James 1.18, In the exercise of His will, He brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of firstfruits among His creatures. He wanted them to understand that their suffering meant something to Jesus. He had promised that He would build His church and He had paid for it with His own blood. And He knew that His people would suffer affliction as, as they grew the church or as the church grew. But we must always remember That our Lord Jesus knows and He understands our suffering. Charles Spurgeon says this, As sure as God puts His children in the furnace of affliction, He will be with them in it. Isn't that a great promise? As sure as God puts His children in the furnace of affliction, He will be with them in it. 
We have to understand that God always wants His children to pray. And that affliction and suffering will drive us to our knees sooner than anything else. In chapter 1, James had told his people that when they lacked wisdom, they are to seek God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. And James warned them that they must seek him, but James warned them that they must seek him in faith without any doubting. You see, God does answer our prayers. God does answer. But he and he expects us to seek him continually in prayer. But we have to pray to him in faith. Trusting that He will answer our prayers. Here in James 5, James picks up on this expectation to faithfully pray. James always expects God's people to faithfully seek God in prayer. So James offers his people, his readers, uh, three occasions for faithful prayer and praise as they endure a great hardship. He encourages the church to prayer and praise when, point number one, we are suffering. Take a look at the text, 5.13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let's stop right there. As we've said, James understands the difficulties facing these people. You see, James is a shepherd. James loves his people. And he sees that they're enduring this great suffering and seemingly there's no answer. James here then uses a Greek word in verse 10 that he he used when he used the, the prophets as an example of their suffering. The, the prophets then, as, as in, back in verse 10, the prophets were not suffering from physical illness. They were suffering from persecution. They were suffering from evil treatment and abuse and wickedness. They also suffered from physical beating and physical, physical persecution. The main idea then here that James is using in verse 13 is, is the stress and calamity of all kinds that come upon us in the form of persecution. Now, most of us don't have to deal with that. But these people had suffered under tremendous calamity. The same word that is used here is also used in 2 Timothy 2.3 where Paul speaks of suffering hardship like a soldier in the midst of a war. These people were experiencing all experiencing an all-out war, yet they, they felt it exposed. They were feeling the, the blows of persecution, and they were feeling the blows of deprivation. They were in an all-out struggle. And from their perspective, the fight seemed to go on forever. And James gives them the simplest and most profound of answers. They're struggling. They're going through great persecution. And his solution is to pray. It's to pray. His solution is to turn to God for comfort. Paul says God in 2 Corinthians 13, I'm sorry, 1, 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3, Paul says that God is the God of all comfort. His solution is to have personal communion with the only one who can truly intervene. Make no mistake, we can, get all, we can get tripped up in this passage for a variety of reasons, but beloved, this, passion, or this passage is all about prayer and the power of prayer. Brethren, the church needs more prayer. Our church, Grace Bible Church, needs more prayer. Beloved, your family needs 
more prayer. My family needs more prayer. This world needs more prayer. Listen to what E.M. Bounds says. What the church needs today is not more machinery or better, not new organizations or more and novel methods, but men whom the Holy Ghost can use, men of prayer, men mighty in prayer. The Holy Ghost does not flow through methods, but through men. He does not come on machinery, but on men. He does not anoint plans, but men, men of prayer." End quote. Beloved, recently I've been struck by the brokenness I see in this world. I, I, everywhere I look, it's, it's a broken world. He, it, even the election this past week shows the brokenness. So we're, we're still fighting over the ballots in the state of Florida. Things seem to be going from bad to worse. Our families are falling apart. Our churches are falling to staves. Our nation is failing. Our culture is collapsing. We seem to be headed to great calamity. Beloved, the only answer, the only answer today and as we suffer is prayer. That is the answer. It is simple yet profound. You might say to me, Pastor, my problems are much closer to home. You, you're talking about all these things that are happening in the world, but my, I'm having trouble at home. I understand the theology of suffering, but I'm still depressed. I, I'm still in the pit of life. I'm in this hole, and I can't quite dig myself out of it. My spouse is not faithful. He or she is there physically, but they've checked out on me. Uh, my husband is not caring for me. We, we just can't work out our differences. I have a rebellious child. I've lost my job. I have huge debts that have come upon me. I have no idea how to catch up. I have major health issues. Maybe a surgery. Maybe an upcoming diagnosis. I'm struggling with anxiety about the future. I'm struggling with so much anxiety that there are days that I can't leave my house. I know I'm supposed to trust God, but I find it impossible. What do I do? Ultimately, beloved, the answer is to pray deeply. I remember one time a friend of mine went to a godly saint with several complaints. There were complaints about their spouse, about others in the church. This godly saint listened patiently for some time and then said, Have you prayed deeply about these things? That's my answer. Pray deeply. Brethren, we seem to complain instead of praying. We seem to do a lot of things in our own power before we're driven to prayer. But God has clearly called us to pray. Just look at the life of Christ. He never did anything without praying to the Father. As the cross looms just hours away, what did we find Him doing? Praying. He spent the evening in prayer. You can turn to Mark 14 if you'd like, but... I just want to point out a few things. Just point it out what, how, how often that we see prayer as Christ spent that evening, the evening prior to going to the cross. In verse 26, we pick it up. They, they, after singing a hymn, isn't that amazing? They sang, sang a hymn. Isn't that, isn't that really neat? 
They sang together. After singing to him, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said, You will all fall away, because as it is written, I will strike down the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. I mean, he's talking about what's going to happen. But after I've been raised, I will go ahead to, to Galilee. But Peter said, Even though all may fall away, yet I will not. Verse 29, verse 30. Truly I say to you, this very night before a rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Peter said that's not going to happen. Verse 32. They came to a place named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here until I pray. He's going to the cross. He's going to die for the sins of the world. And he is going to pray and spend time in communion with his father. And he took him with him Peter and James and John and began to be very distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch. And he went, verse 35, he went a little beyond them and fell to the ground and began to pray. And to pray that if it were possible, the hour might pass by. And he was saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not I will, but what you will. It's very instructive, isn't it? That the Lord of the universe is praying to the Father in His will. Submitting to the will of the Father. Verse 38, Keep watching and praying so that you may not come into the temptation. The Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Verse 39, Again He went away and He prayed, saying the same words. Persistence in prayer, right? Persistently pursuing the Father in prayer. Prayer also marked the ministry of the apostles and those around him. In Acts 2.42, it says, They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Acts 6.4, the apostles stated that they would devote themselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. In Acts 12.5, Peter had been arrested and was placed in prison, but prayer for him was being fervently made fervently by the church of God. They were praying. They were praying. In Acts 12.12, when Peter was released, he went to the house of Mary and the mother of John, who was also called Mark, and many were gathered together and they were, they were praying. Prayer also marked the ministry of the Apostle Paul. In Acts 16.25, Paul had been thrown into jail at, at Philippi. And, but about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. In Ephesians 1.16, Paul says that he does not cease giving thanks for the Ephesian, Ephesian saints while making mention of them in his prayers. Colossians 1.3 he says to the saints at Colossae, We give thanks to God, the, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Beloved, this is a challenging subject. I fear that most of us don't pray enough. Including me. We don't pray enough because we haven't suffered enough. We cannot expect, beloved, to, to accomplish anything of consequence in this life without the power of prayer. You wonder why 
Your kids are rebelling. Have you prayed enough? Have you prayed? I'm talking, I'm talking persistently praying. You wonder why you're struggling in life. Are you praying? I'm talking about going to the throne of grace persistently, without ceasing. Listen to this powerful quote by E.M. Bounds again. The men who have done the most for God in this world have been early on their knees. He who fritters away the early morning, its opportunity and freshness, and other pursuits than seeking God will make poor headway seeking Him the rest of the day. If God is not in our first thoughts and efforts in the morning, He will be in the last place the remainder of the day. End quote. Are you struggling? Pray. Have you no peace? Pray. Are you suffering? Pray. Have you been forsaken by family and friends? Pray. Do you feel alone on an island? Pray. Are you dealing with recurring sin? Confess, repent, and pray. There's an old hymn. I'm not sure we've ever sung it here. It goes like this. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with the load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do thy friends despise, forsake thee? Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he'll take and shield thee. Thou will find a solace there. Hallelujah. Glory to be, be to our great God. We've seen the first occasion for faithful prayer and praise as we endure great hardship. James encourages the church to, to prayer and praise when we're suffering. Let's look at the second occasion. When we're smiling. Look at verse 13 again. Back in 5.13. Is anyone cheerful? Stop there. As you probably know, we find ourselves in many different moods as we go through suffering. There are times we find ourselves in a happy mood even as we face the struggle. The word here, translated cheerful, can have the idea of taking courage. The word that James uses is, in his second question connotes a, a, a state of emotions rather than an outward circumstance. So it's, it's how we're handling the issues that we're faced with. The, the verb only occurs one other place, and that's in the New Testament, where Paul encourages, in Acts 27, as they're being shipwrecked, Paul encourages uh, the, the passengers to, to, to have a peace of mind despite the, the raging storm that was tearing their, their ship apart. 
In other words, James was speaking of a, a triumph, triumphant dis, disposition, that is, despite the raging battles around us. James says when we find ourselves in that situation, we are to sing praises to our Lord. Sometimes a reminder to, to turn to God is needed even more when, we are, when we're experiencing times of cheer, right? Than in times of suffering. We, we know that we're in, in times of suffering. We know that we seek God, right? There's no atheist on a ship that's sinking. But when we're in times of cheer, sometimes we can forget. In those times of cheer, James specifically exhorts them to sing songs of praise. The Greek word used here for that, for psalms, or songs, is, is a psalm. The word for, we get so, the word psalm from. Uh, the, word, the verb simply means to sing. Uh, it connotes a, a song of praise to God. So especially coming from one who is doing well, the song here is almost certainly a praise to the Lord. The New Living Translation says, Continually sing praises to the Lord. The word continually that they translate there reflects the fact that it's a present tense of the verb, meaning that we are always to, that it's a repetitive thing, that we're always to sing praise. Therefore, giving praise to our God, like petitions of prayer in times of trouble, must be a part of our lifestyle. It's what we do. We give praise to the Lord. In Ephesians 5.19, Paul writes this. 5.18. It says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. So, Singing praises to our God is an indication that we're walking in the Spirit and living a life filled with the Spirit. Living the Spirit-filled life. But we cannot miss this. We cannot miss how encouraging it is for those who are suffering or sick to hear people sing praises to God. I've heard many people talk about going to be with those who are suffering and singing hymns of praise with them. Angie and I and the kids went to a Korean funeral uh, back when I was in seminary. I can't even remember exactly why we were there, but this lady had died of cancer. And they had a film. They had videoed her prior to her death. We couldn't understand the language that they were speaking but we could certainly understand what they were singing. They were singing hymns of praise as this woman approached death. What a, what a wonderful encouragement to know that as you face death that you are going to be with the Lord Jesus Christ and that others are there singing with you. If you find yourself doing well, then sing praises to God, especially in the presence of those who are not doing well. We become a source of strength to our brothers and sisters in Christ when we do so. Those who are weak draw strength from us. It's a great picture of encouragement. Are you struggling? Pray. Are you doing well? Sing praises. 
If you're in the pit, then you might do well to seek others who are, who are doing well for prayer and to sing praises to our God. Could it be that when we're struggling, that we must not only pray, but we should seek out our brothers and sisters to spend time with? Could it be that, that, that the source of the struggle is the fact that we're not drawing strength from one another? Brethren, we don't sing much anymore. Our houses are not places of worship. We come to the church to let the professionals lead us in, in prayer and praise. I watched a couple of videos this week, weekend of, of worship songs and I was struck. Because many of them are nothing more than a concert. It's a difficult melody that most people can't even follow. That is not edifying to the church. We come together, we should sing, and we should sing in a way that others can, that you can take it home and sing at home with your kids and sing with, sing with others. We shouldn't be seeking after the professionals. You don't have to be a professional to sing praises. I grew up in a house full of music. Some of my earliest memories were the people singing but that's not the case for most people today. Houses used to be full of praise. Beloved, sing praises to the King. Sing them continually. Hymns of praise can uplift us in times of sorrow. Horatio Spafford was a successful lawyer and businessman in Chicago with a lovely family, a wife Anna and five children. But they weren't strangers to tears and tragedy. Their young son died of, of pneumonia in, in 1871, and in that same year, much of their business was lost in the great Chicago fire. Yet God in His mercy and kindness allowed the business to flourish. And in 1873, they, the Mrs. Spafford and the four daughters, the four remaining daughters, were on a ship crossing the ocean, crossing the Atlantic to go to England. Mr. Spafford had planned to go with his family, and he, but he found it necessary to stay in, in Chicago for business. He told his wife he would join her, her and the children a few days later. But during that crossing, that faithful crossing, their ship collided with a, another ship. And suddenly all those on board were in grave danger. Anna hurriedly brought the four children to the deck. She knelt there with the girls and she prayed to God. She prayed that, they would, that God would spare them, if that could be His will, or make them willing to endure whatever awaited them. Within approximately 12 minutes after this, the ship slipped beneath the dark waters of the Atlantic, carrying with it 226 souls, including the Spafford Daughters. A sailor rowing a small boat over the spot where the ship went down spotted a woman floating on a piece of wreckage. It was Anna, still alive. When she finally arrived, she wired her husband a message which began as this, Saved alone. What shall I do? Another of the ship's survivors, Pastor Weiss, later recalled Anna saying, God gave me four daughters 
Now they have been taken. Someday I will understand why. Mr. Spafford booked passage on the next available ship and left to join his grieving wife. With the ship four days out, the captain called Spafford to his cabin and told him this is the place where the children went down. It was during that trip that Spafford wrote these words. When peace, like a river, attendeth my way. When sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. Brother, there's something encouraging about the singing of praises to our Lord as we struggle through calamity. If you find yourself in a position of cheerfulness, never forget those who are struggling and how they draw upon our strength in times of great need. Sing praises to our King. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding shall keep your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Well, we've seen the first two occasions for faithful prayer and praise as we endure great hardship. We're to pray and, ha- and praise when we're suffering. We're to pray and praise when we're smiling. Let's look at the third occasion. We're to do so when we're sick. James goes on, chapter 5. He says, Any among you sick? And the word translated sick could be, tr- or could be translated weak. Some have even interpreted this word as meaning spiritually weak, probably from the suffering that has been endured. There are places in the New Testament where this same word has been translated in, in this sense. But, but in, when it's translated as spiritual weakness, uh, it, that meaning is made clear by a qualifier. In 1 Corinthians 8, 7, Paul used the word to speak of one who is weak in conscience. In Romans 14, Paul used the word to describe those who are weak in faith. But again, it's with a qualifier. And here in James, it doesn't have that qualifier. More importantly, and we've seen in the Gospels, that, that the Gospels, that is, that has exercised the greatest influence on James's vocabulary, and in the Gospels, this word always denotes physical illness. While it would simplify my job to take this as a spiritual weakness, as James is speaking of, the normal sense of the word denotes physical illness which would seem to open up a whole can of worms considering the charismatic understanding of healing. Yet, we cannot ignore what James is saying here. We must imagine then that some are in their midst who are sick even unto death as they have endured this physical persecution. They have endured persecution and now they are lying on their deathbed. We know that that from the earlier chapters that some of James' readers had already died due to the the calamities that had come upon them. They were probably sick and weak from hunger and abuse and needed the Lord's intervention one way or the other. These people were probably not, they were not in a place to pray for themselves. James tells them that they must call the elders of the church to pray over them. Call for the elders to pray over them. And we need to understand that the elders are the spiritual leaders of the church. 
So James is saying, if you don't have strength to pray for yourself, call the spiritual leaders of the church. You're you're too weak to pray, then you must go to the spiritually strong and let them pray for you. The the elders of the church then are the overseers, the pastors, the shepherds. They, They are spiritually strong. These men are described or defined in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus 1. They're defined as the strong spiritual leaders of the church. It's interesting, it's instructive that they don't, that James doesn't say go to those who are gifted in healing. He says go to the spiritual leaders, go to the elders, have them, or have them come to you, that is, and pray for you. He instructs them to seek those who are, who are victorious, those who have learned to patiently endure. They are to seek out the righteous men among them to pray for them. Seek out the men who have given themselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Therefore, James is saying that the responsibility for their well-being, spiritual and physical, comes down to, to prayer, the prayer of these men. These men are full of faith and they're to pray for those who are sick. James says they're to pray over him anointing Him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now this statement is, could be a little bit hard to understand, but what we have to understand is, is that it most likely speaks of anointing with oil, which was used to consecrate or set apart someone. Most, most likely there was no medicinal purposes to the action. The oil was intended then to set apart the sick one for prayer offered by the elders. Beloved, we cannot lose sight of the power of prayer in these situations. The power of the faithful prayers of a faithful man, of faithful men, it is God through the power of prayer who does the healing. Thus they are to pray in the name of the Lord. That's what James says. I know that we can struggle. I've struggled understanding this because of the abuses that are out there. But we cannot forget that we serve a God who is a healing God. And that if we approach Him in faith and ask Him to heal, He will heal if it's His desire to do so. This verse then is clearly tied to chapter 1, uh, verses 5-8, through eight, speaking of, speak, of, of the faithful prayers. Uh, praying in faith, not doubting. God answers prayers offered in faith. The idea that, that have restored here could have the idea of salvation, but there's no reason to give it that force. Uh, it, it, it's clearly speaking of the restoration of the body. We must realize then that God will heal and raise up when it is His will to do so. Douglas Moo, a commentator on, uh, in, of James, says this, Prayer for healing offered in the confidence that God will answer that prayer does bring healing. But only when it is God's will to heal will that faith, itself a gift of God, be present. Did you get that? Let me say it again. Prayer for healing offered in the confidence that God will answer that prayer does bring healing. 
but only when it is God's will to heal will that faith itself a gift of God be present. There's a story about Martin Luther and Philip Melanchthon that may illustrate the power of faithful prayer in cases of sicknesses. You see, Matt Melanchthon, uh, sidekick of Martin Luther, a lesser-known man, was sick upon it. Was sick unto death upon his bed, and Luther exclaimed to him, "We can't spare you yet, Philip." And he threw himself upon his knees and he wrestled with God for his recovery for almost an hour. After praying, he went from his knees to the bed and took his friend by the hand. Again, he said, "Dear Luther." Dear Luther, why, why don't you let me depart in peace? Luther replied, No, no, we can't spare you yet. He then ordered some soup, and when pressed he, to take it, Melanchthon declined, again saying, Dear Luther, why will you not let me go home and be at rest? And Luther replied again, We cannot spare you yet, Philip. He says this, Philip, you take this soup or I will excommunicate you. That's funny. Melanchthon took the soup and soon began to, to get better. He regained his health and labored for years afterward in the cause of the Reformation. When Luther returned home, he said to his wife with joy, God gave me my brother Melanchthon back in direct answer to prayer. What a wonderful story. A faithful prayer. James goes on to say, if he's committed sins, they will be forgiven him. This, this phrase gives the possibility there have been sins committed by the sick person. But by no means does this mean that they that sins have put him in that position. Must be careful not to be like Job's friends. We must understand that, that there is a possibility that sins may well have caused their current illness, but we can't be for sure. Having said that, we should see here the power of faithful prayer. The, fa- the power of faithful prayer that can not only heal physically, but can heal spiritually. Beloved, I hope this study and these verses has helped you see the need for faithful prayer. I hope that we see the need to pray without ceasing. I hope that we see the need to pray when we're suffering. I hope that we see the need to pray and to, to sing praises when we're in cheer, in cheer, smiling. And I hope we see the need for prayer when we're sick or when others are sick around us. That we hold them up in prayer, faithfully believing that God will heal them. I believe that covers it all, right? All, all the situations of life. We need to be in constant communion with our Maker. As John Bunyan has stated, pray often, for prayer is a shield to the soul, a sacrifice to God, and a scourge for Satan. Brethren, we need to make prayer our top priority. I fear that if you are like me, other things can take precedence. I leave you with this encouragement from Charles Spurgeon. This reminds me. 
I'll tell you. I'll tell you after I do this quote. We do not forget to eat. We do not forget to take the shop shutters down. We do not forget to be diligent in business. We do not forget to go to our beds to rest. But we often do forget to wrestle with God in prayer. And to spend, as we ought to spend, long periods in consecrated fellowship with our God, our Father and our God. End quote. I remember one time, a man asked me if I had spent time in the Word and prayer. So it was in the morning. And I, he, there's, I was a young Christian. And he asked me, had I spent time in the Word and prayer? And I said, no, not yet. And he looked at me deadpan and he said, have you eaten yet? It's important, right? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this time of encouragement. Father, I pray that we would make it our daily habit to pray. I ask that we would do that. I ask that we would be a praying church. I always feel, I think most preachers would feel a bit hypocritical standing here encouraging people to pray. Yet, Lord, that's what your word says, as convicting as it is. Father, I pray that we would be a praying church. I ask that we would be a church that would come to you persistently in prayer, that we would bring and cast our cares upon you. Father, I pray that we'd be a church and ask that we'd be a church that sing praises. That we'd be a church that continually comes to you singing praises to our King. And I pray also that we would be a church that, is, that consistently prays for the sick. Faithfully praying. Praying in faith, knowing that you are a God who heals. That you, you made our bodies and that you can heal them, and you do. We have confidence in that. We thank you and praise you this morning for all that you've done, all that you are doing, and all that you will do in our midst. In Christ's name, amen.